If you'll turn in your Bibles to John, the third chapter. It's been a while since I spoke to you about the articles of faith of this church. And if you remember the last time, it's been several months. The Lord just kind of directed my mind to some other things, but I believe he's directed my mind back to this. We were down to article six. And if you recall, we're using the eight articles of faith that come from Zion Primitive Baptist Church from 1848, which is very significant. And if you've never read those articles of faith and the adjoining language that's with that on the reason why they established Zion Church, I encourage you to do that. Matter of fact, uh, it's hanging in my office if you want to go and, and take a look at that. I've got the articles of faith hanging in there from Zion. And so that's where Bethlehem comes from. So I think it's important for us to understand what we believe. If, if you've ever wondered, like I have, why do I love the Lord? Why do I come to church? What is it that causes me to want to serve Him? These are all valid questions that the Articles of Faith answer. Article 6 of the Zion Primitive Baptist Church Articles of Faith from 1848 says this, We believe that God's elect shall be called and regenerated and sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Very simple, very easy to understand. And I submit to you that this article of faith, the others are significant too, no doubt, without question, but this particular article of faith is something that sets apart what all Baptists have believed throughout time until the recent few hundred years. It sets apart what we still teach about how you are saved and why you love God. Is it is contained in this right here? It's it's talking about the new birth. That's why I ask you to turn to John the third chapter, and we want to read there as we as we look at this article of faith. And again, if you want to know, there's several things you say. Well. You know, we don't have instrumental music. You know, we don't have this. We don't have that. And I don't like focusing on the don'ts because we do have a church house full of a choir. <laughs> People say, y'all don't have a choir. Yes, we do. You're the choir, okay? Let's be positive. And there's some noticeable, visible things about the worship in the old Baptist church than opposed to a lot of things that go out in the world today. But in terms of that, and that's important, but it's very important that we understand a truth like this, because this is where it becomes very clear how we teach what the Word of God says. And so many out there in the denominational world do not teach this. But remember, all Baptists used to teach this. And if you find a church, a Baptist church that was established, say, more than 50 years ago, you will find in their articles of faith almost identical to this. So well, what happened? Well, that's a whole other story for a whole other day. A lot of things happened. But let's look at what this teaches here from John, the third chapter. I want you to understand that these are not just words that they came up with in the 1800s and said, well, we think about this. We think this. No, they had a basis for this. And the overall basis is found in John 3. Listen to what he says in verse 7. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, by the way, the religious elite of the day did not have a clue. He says, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. We're talking about the new birth. When they say, we believe that God's elect shall be called and regenerated and sanctified by the Holy Ghost. That is a reference to the new birth. There's a lot of different terms in the word of God that speak of the new birth. And Jesus says, you must be born again. Now watch this in verse 8. 
The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. There are no exceptions to this rule. There's no exceptions. There's no different ways for people to be born again. Now, there are many different circumstances of which we will look at about three this morning. But there's no difference in the way that any person that's a chosen child of God, everyone is born again the same way. And it's by the work of God. It's the Holy Spirit. Notice he says the example that's given there is the wind. And it's foolish for me to say to you, I can control the wind. I can tell the wind what to do. You can't do that. There's no way to control the wind. The wind is sovereign. And so Jesus is setting down the truth here that all people that are God's children, chosen before the foundation of the world, all of them are born again the same way. And it's like the wind, the sovereign wind. It's not by the choice of the individual. It's not by the act of the person. It is by the sovereign wind Holy Spirit, which spirit means, it's the Greek word pneuma, it means wind, the holy blowing of God. You can't tell the wind where to go. You can't stop a tornado. You can't stop a hurricane. No man will ever figure, or woman will ever figure out how to do that. And no man, woman, or child can stop the movement of the Holy Spirit. You see? Jesus sets this rule, and there are no exceptions to that rule. You say, well, yeah, but this person... You know, they found the Lord or the Lord found them, you know, at a very young age and this one at a very old age. But they were born again the same way. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. I don't want to beat that dead horse, but it's the words of Jesus. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. There's no different way for an infant to be born again than an adult. There's no age of accountability taught in the, in the Scripture. That's a spiritual urban legend. Every child of God is born again the same way. Now, there's different terminology in the Scripture about being born again. It's very interesting. I think in terms of our salvation, there's more terminology connected to the new birth than the others. For example, you only read three or four times in the Scripture where it says you are predestinated. That term is not used just three or four times. Now, there's other places where you read that we're chosen, and that all connects, of course. But there are several vivid descriptions given of the new birth. Jesus said right here, it's like the wind. Y'all see that? It's like the wind that blows. And the wind is sovereign. You don't tell the wind where to go. Ephesians 2 and 1 says, You have he quickened who were dead. It's described as a quickening. Elsewhere, it's described as being regenerated. In John, the, book, uh, the Gospel of John, he describes it as hearing the voice of the Son of God. The Lord speaks to the heart of a child of God. And it's also described as being called. It's described as being sanctified. In John 6, he says it's the drawing of, uh, of the Lord. The Lord draws the child of God to them. Like an example I've always used and heard used was like you, you drop a, a bucket down in a well and you draw the water out. The, the water doesn't jump in the bucket or ask to go in the bucket. The person who draws the water out, draws out the bucket, has sovereign power to draw the water. And that's the way it is for the child of God. It also describes it as a creation. And I've used this before when I've had Bible studies with some of our young guys. And I've said, you know, have you ever created anything? You can't do that, can you? Have you ever quickened anything or made anything come alive from the dead? And of course, the answer is no, I can't create anything. No, I can't quicken anything. You see, all of these things point to the fact that we can't do it. 
And that's why Jesus said every child of God is born again the same way. Now, look at Romans, the eighth chapter. I want you to see where from our article of faith, article six, it says we believe that God's elect shall be called and regenerated and sanctified. I want you to know that that language is not something that they just came up with. It's from the word of God. You say, well, I didn't know I believed these things. Well, I want you to know what you believe. We have to know what we believe. You don't want to go around saying, well, I believe what my preacher believes. You want to believe what you believe, not what your preacher believes or says. Romans 8 and verse 28, very familiar verses of Scripture. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called. Did you catch that? According to His purpose. Now watch this. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And there it is. That's the new birth. That's another name. It's another description of the new birth. You were called. This is referring to the hearing the voice of the Son of God. Now you think about that. The power that generates the voice comes from another. Y'all understand that? Like, I'm speaking to you. The power, you are not asking me for or giving me the power to speak to you right now. And nobody asks for or gives to God the power to speak to the heart of a child of God. As a matter of fact, you can't even hear it. It's to the heart of a child of God. See, it's, a, it's what Elijah referred, uh, experienced over there when it says there was a still, small voice. Brother Luke's going to get to that. I, I'm enjoying it so much. It's very hard for me, Brother Luke, to not jump ahead and grab some of that stuff. And a matter of fact, I preached yesterday at Beulah, and I told the good folks from, from Bethlehem, and I'm, I'm giving it up now, guys. I told the good folks from Bethlehem yesterday at Beulah, don't tell Brother Luke that I'm using some Elijah examples <laughs> because you've got me so in tune to what's going on with Elijah. But Elijah experienced a still, small voice. There's no such thing naturally as a still, small voice because a voice vibrates and it makes noise. This still, small voice that Elijah heard was in his heart, you see? And that's what the child of God hears when they're born again. God speaks to their heart. It's not the preacher speaking. It's not... It's not the mama or the daddy or the Sunday school teacher or the youth pastor. It's not any of those speaking. It is God speaking directly to the heart. Now, this is something very important before we get to our examples. And I've got three examples for you. It's very important to understand that in the Bible, there are distinctions and differences made between a child of God being called in the new birth, where God speaks directly to the heart, and the gospel call where the minister says, now if you want to join the church, come and confess the Lord and be baptized. There is a distinction in the Scripture. Let me show it to you. There's several places, but we're just going to use one. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 13, the Apostle Paul writes and says, but we are bound to give thanks all the way to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. Now that's the new birth right there. That's also what our article of faith says. You've been called, regenerated, sanctified. He says, God has chosen you to be born again. You're going to be born again at some point in your life as a child of God. And then he goes on and he says, and belief of the truth. So here you have two different teachings tied in together. He says, whereunto he called you by our gospel. You understand there's a difference in the gospel call and the new birth call. 
The new birth call is totally and completely the work of Jesus Christ on the heart of the child of God. But when the preacher gets up here and says, now you ought to follow the Lord. You ought to serve the Lord. You ought to go in the direction that the Lord is leading you. Why are you being led in that direction? Why do you feel that pull to follow the Lord? Why do you love him? Why do you come to church? Why were you baptized if you've been baptized? And if you haven't, you ought to be. See, that's the gospel call. So, well, I love the Lord, Brother Tim. It's because he first loved you. It's because you've been sanctified by the Spirit of God. He's touched your heart. And that's why you are drawn towards Him and want to walk and serve Him. Now, you're going to still have conflict within your heart where you've got the old man and the new man wants to do the old things you used to do. And then there's the spiritual man that wants you to do the new things and the good things. There's always that conflict until you lay your body down in the grave and your heart stops beating in this life You'll always have that conflict. But discerning between the two is the key. So when I stand up here and I say the Lord is calling you to follow Him, that is different than the Lord calling you in your heart, regenerating you, quickening you. I can't quicken you. I can't make you alive in that way. But God can, and He does. So understand, when you study the Word of God and you study about this call, where you're using the terminology of being called as the new birth, Make sure you understand what the calling is. Because there's times when Paul says, you're called to serve him, to follow him. And then there's other times we read where he says, you have been called and born again. Very important to make that distinction. So we consider the first example that I want to give to you. And remember, the across the board rule, Jesus said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. You're born again the same way. So let's look to Luke, the first chapter. Luke, the first chapter, is the first individual that we want to consider who is born again the same way as all and any child of God is ever born again. And his name, as I'm sure you figured out, it was John the Baptist. Okay? Now remember, there's different circumstances for children of God being born again. But they're born again the same way. And here is quite a different circumstance. In Luke 1, we read where... Zacharias, who was one of the priests, he was going in to do his work at the temple. He has a wife, Elizabeth, who is very elderly and she's barren. They were probably in their 60s or 70s. She is past the time of having a child and she was never able to have a child her entire life. And so they've been praying their entire life. And in their 60s and 70s, when they've probably pretty much just written this off, they probably stopped praying about this 20 years before. So Zacharias goes into the temple, and that's where the angel of the Lord appears unto him, and it scares him. (laughs) He's afraid, and the angel of the Lord says in verse 13, Fear not, Zacharias. Now watch the language. For thy prayer is heard. Now we don't know when he last prayed that prayer. He may have still been praying it even in his 60s and 70s. But he's been praying that prayer. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now watch this. And you talk about prenatal care you've heard of prenatal care that's a very important thing and it's a big thing now you know prenatal care is something that's more recent in recent decades than it has been in the past this kind of prenatal care that goes on today was pretty much unheard of you know medical prenatal care was pretty much unheard of you know in years gone by but what a blessing it is to get an ultrasound and see how the baby's doing and so forth okay so here is some amazing eternal spiritual prenatal care And by the way, this is what I call a pre-birth new birth. This is a pre-birth new birth. He says, thou shalt call his name John. 
and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. You hear that? Here is a baby in the womb that is born again before he is born into the world. Remember what Jesus said? Everybody's born again the same way. So I ask you the question, did this baby respond to a call? Could he speak? Could he verbalize anything? No, a thousand times no. This is a distinction that the Word of God... It's not Brother Tim making this distinction. You understand? The Word of God makes this distinction so you can understand that the reason you love God is the same reason John the Baptist loved God. The reason you have joy of the Holy Ghost is the same reason that this, this baby in the womb of his mother had joy. Now look, John's not the only one. Somebody might say, well, you know, this was a unique exception. Remember, there's no exceptions for the new birth. Jesus said everybody's born again the same way. But somebody might say, well, you know, he was special. He was the bulldozer. He was the forerunner of Christ. Well, look, there's others. You can read about David in Psalm 22 where it says that he, was, that he had hope. He was, it said, listen, the language is very key. He said, I was made to hope. You hear that? He didn't say I decided to hope. He said, I was made to hope when I was being held in my mother's arms as a toddler, as a nursing baby. And it goes on to say, thou art he that has taken me from the womb. Taken me. So it's not just John the Baptist. We also, I told you I was only give three examples. Here I am violating what I told you. <laughs> so it's not just John the Baptist. There's also David. And what about Jeremiah? Jeremiah says explicitly, he says, I was born again and sanctified in my mother's belly. So you've got three, and there's others that we could go into. Others of where babies, even babies before they were born, are born again. That cannot be the work of the preacher or of the parent or of the youth minister or the Sunday school teacher. It cannot be the work of anything, anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what you believe here at Bethlehem. Did you know that? This is what you believe. It's not just what you believe. It's what the Word of God teaches. Now, second example. And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, Brother Tim's going to go that same old place that he goes. I'm going to throw you a curveball here today. Normally, I would go to Acts the ninth chapter and talk to you about Saul who became Paul in the New Testament. But I'm going to throw you a curveball and we're going to go to 1 Samuel the ninth chapter. And we're going to talk about another Saul. And let me just say this as you're turning there. This is Saul, the first king of Israel. Years ago, when I was preaching about the new birth, I issued a challenge. I would, occasionally, I would issue a challenge. Even when I was preaching away at other places, I'd say, I challenge you to find any instance in the Word of God other than Paul on the road to Damascus where you've got a, like a video, like a picture, a play-by-play -play of someone being born again. Well, I probably should have never done that because I found one myself. <laughs> And, and it's another Saul. It's amazing. It's a Saul in the Old Testament. It's, it's a guy from the same tribe of Paul. It's a guy from the tribe of Benjamin. It's really interesting, the connectivity there. But in 1 Samuel 9, we have a picture of regeneration. And you say, well, is regenerated in the Bible. Titus 3 and 5 says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Another term for being born again. And in 1 Samuel chapter 9, we have our introduction to future King Saul. 
Now, the reason I want to read a little bit of this to you, and I've got a few minutes here, I want to read a little bit of this to you is so that you can see this is, this is a testimony to what societies are like, what cultures are like when the culture is based on the, the service of God. You know, whenever, you know, we're living in a postmodern Christian society. The, the society we live in today is not based on the service of God. It's based on the service of self. But when a society is based on, in general, the culture is focused on honoring God, like our society has been in years gone by, but not recently. And that's why you see so much chaos out there today. But even when people aren't born again, even when you have natural people, Natural men, women, children that aren't born again. It has a tendency to keep morality in line. You'll see that in Saul because he's not born again yet. And so 1 Samuel 9, it says there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. And I'm going to give you kind of the highlight here. This son of, of Kish, Saul, his dad loses his donkeys. Like the herd of donkeys goes and gets lost. And so he sends Saul, his son, to go find them. So Saul is on a journey to find these donkeys. And he finds a lot more than just donkeys on this journey. And so as they're looking for these donkeys, they can't really find them. They can't get anywhere. And so they don't know what to do. They say, well, better, we better just go home. But Saul has an idea. Saul decides, well, there's a prophet over here. You remember, Saul's not born again. You know, it doesn't mean that he's going out. Because he's not born again doesn't mean that he's going out and causing, committing crime and stuff. But he's following the general thrust of that society, the morality and so forth. And so here he says, there's a prophet over here. Let's go ask the prophet if he's seen our donkeys or if he could tell us where they are. And so that's what he does is he goes and he finds, guess who? He finds Samuel. And the day before Saul comes, God has told Samuel he's going to come. And he's the guy that I want you to anoint as the king. He's still not born again. Okay, how do we know that? Because it says it here in just a minute. So uh, Saul goes to Samuel and Samuel says, hey, I've been expecting you. And of course, I'm paraphrasing and shortening this down. He says, hey, I've been expecting you. And so in 1 Samuel 10, this is where Samuel takes a vial of oil, pours it upon his head and he kisses him. And he says, is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? God has anointed this man to be the king, but he's still not born again. You know what we can conclude about that? As C.S. Lewis said, the Lord is not a tame lion. He can do whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases, however he pleases. And if, and if I have a problem with that, I've just got to get over it. <laughs> He's not born again yet. And then Samuel goes on and he says, now when you depart from me, this verse 2, you're going to find these things are going to happen to you. And Samuel goes on and says, you're going to encounter these people that are worshiping. You're going to encounter these prophets. You're going to encounter these three men. And you're going to come to the hill of God, verse 5, and you'll encounter these prophets coming down from worshiping God. And verse 6 says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shall be turned into another man. Now hold on. It gets a little crazier. Samuel just said to him, the preacher just said, when this happens, you're going to be turned into another man. But watch the language. And let it be when these signs are coming to thee that thou do as occasion serve thee for God is with thee and thou shalt go down before me, that's Samuel, to Gilgal and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. Seven days thou shalt tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. Now watch verse 9. God is not a tame lion. The wind's going to blow in the new birth whenever he pleases. Watch this now. 
Samuel just said, you're going to be turned into another man tomorrow whenever you encounter those people prophesying. But watch verse 9. And it was so that when Saul, he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. Are y'all with me? We have a picture of a man being born again. Now, where did Saul say, Lord, I want to be born again. Lord, I want to become a child of God. Lord, I want you to come into my heart. Lord, I think I need to do something to get you. There is no place for that in the new birth. Now, there's place for it in acknowledging the gospel call where you have been born again and you do feel burdened by your sins and you do want to follow God, but that's not what's happening right here. I just think it's interesting to me. The Lord is not a tame lion. You know, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon Saul the next day and Saul is going to prophesy. And they would even say, is Saul among the prophets? What happened to Saul? Is he a preacher now? But right here at this moment, as he is facing Samuel and he turns and he walks away from Samuel, the Spirit of God comes in there and borns him again and touches his heart. Look at what it says. The Lord gave him another heart. That's amazing, isn't it? Where is the offer? Where is the begging? Where is the pleading? Where is the demeaning of Jesus in such a begging and pleading? Jesus comes into his heart and borns him again in that moment. It's the sovereign act of God. Remember the words of Jesus? And, and so is everyone born of the Spirit of God the same way. So if you can picture that in your mind, the Spirit of God was gathering up like, like the wind and he just went straight down there into the heart of Saul and turned him into another Man gave him the spiritual man. That's amazing to me. That's the Old Testament. The only example in the Old Testament of a picture given of a man, woman, or child in the process of being born again. And I tell you, child of grace, it just completely eliminates 98 or 99% of what the religious world says out there today. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to say this. You got to say that. It eliminates it. And in the New Testament, the only example that you've, you've got is of another man named Saul, who, by the way, was on the road to kill Christians. It's very interesting, isn't it? The last thing that he says about, that the article of faith says about the new birth, it says you're called, you're regenerated, and you're sanctified. 1 Corinthians 6 and 11 says, Such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know, that follows where he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? That a person who is actively living in crime and all of these different things that he lists there, he says you cannot be a part of the church of God. You eliminate yourself from the church of God by acting in those terrible ways that brings reproach upon the Lord. And he says, But such were some of you. Did you know that homosexuality is even listed in that list right there? Did you know that uh, adultery and fornication and all these things are uh, th uh, thievery? All those things. He looks at them and he says, there were some of you who were thieves. There were some of you who were fornicators. There were some of you who were adulterers. There were some of you who were homosexuals. There were some of you who did this, who did that. But ye are cleansed. You're washed. How? By the, by the new birth, by the Spirit of God. The sanctifying effect of the Lord. As we close our thoughts here in the last two minutes, look at Luke 23 as I give you the third example. I'm not getting out of here without giving my third example. Because I think it goes right along with being sanctified. Sanctified means to be set apart. When you were in your sins and the Lord was not in your heart, you were not set apart. 
But the Lord, when He comes like the wind and touches your heart, He separates you from yourself, if you will. And He sanctifies you and He sets you apart. And here we have the account of the thief on the cross. And the reason I go to that account after reading to you what it says about sanctification in 1 Corinthians 6 and 11 is because He says, but such were some of you. Some of you were that way. And here's a man who was hanging on the cross next to Jesus, two thieves on both sides. And it says in the gospel account that both of them were cursing him. Both of the thieves were saying, why don't you take us down? What's wrong with you? You're supposed to be the son of God. And they're angry. And it says they cast the same in their teeth. They were grinding their teeth towards Jesus because they were so much physical pain. They were both there hanging on the cross next to Jesus. But something happened to one of those thieves. But such was he, such were some of you, until the Lord got a hold of him. And I tell you, child of grace, there's no preacher that preached to him. There's no evangelist that got to him. There's no missionary that got to him. There's no Sunday school teacher that got to him. I tell you, it was the sovereign work of the Lord Jesus Christ who went into the heart of that thief who was cursing him at one moment. And the next thing you find him, he's the only one taken up for Jesus on the cross. Luke 23 and verse 39, one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked and said, Dost not thou fear God? This is the other one that was cursing Jesus. Seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He didn't have to wait, you see, when he took his last breath because the Lord touched him. He's with the Lord to this very day. You'll see that thief in heaven. You know why? Not because the thief did anything. But because the Lord born again the thief in the last waning minutes of his miserable life, the Lord touched him and born him again. And you say, well, why didn't the Lord do that when he was young so he could have served God all his life? You'll just have to take that up with God in heaven. And I tell you, when you ask that question, you probably won't ask that question. But if you do, you'll follow up with that and say, Lord, why would you ever even save me in the first place? Get the eyes off of somebody else and think about your own sin. The thief is a testimony to the grace of God. John the Baptist in the womb is a testimony to the mercy and grace of God. Saul in the Old Testament, the Benjamite, is a testimony to the mercy and grace of God. And child of God, you are a testimony to the mercy and grace of God. This is what we believe. We are sanctified. We are regenerated. We are called by the Holy Spirit. As Jesus said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. May the Lord bless you.